Well, good morning to you. My name is Brad Wright, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King, pastor of families, although the way in which um, what it means for me to be a pastor has really changed over the past two months, um, as I'm sure your lives have been sort of disrupted by this whole novel coronavirus experience. And um, just for me, just in my own little house, um, for us it meant my daughter coming home early from college and not getting to finish living in the sorority house that she gets to live in one time during her time in college. It meant for my son, who's a senior in high school, to now kind of know what graduation's even going to look like. He had a trip planned with some friends and their parents. That's at least postponed, possibly canceled. For my other son, it meant that his freshman baseball year was completely disrupted. Like disruption is a word I think we can use when we think about this experience. Um, but there's one little guy in our house who uh, probably doesn't view this like a disruption, though he's the primary disruptor in our home. It's Bentley, our golden retriever. And it doesn't matter if you're text messaging and it's important or if you're having a conversation that's really, that really matters or whatever you're doing, he has no problem disrupting you to, take, to get you to take him on a walk or to go throw a ball with him or to give him food or whatever it is, he, he's okay with it. And, and actually, um, it's been fun to be around him. But for everyone, we're experiencing disruption. And for some of you, your disruptions are so much more significant, even than the things I've mentioned, um, that for you, this is particularly traumatic and difficult, and I don't want to take anything away from that. But there's something about what we read in the scriptures uh, that communicates to us about who Jesus is, that he enters our disruptions with his glory, and he changes things. You know, Jesus has plans, even in this text, as we're reading here in Mark chapter 6, as Pastor Clay had mentioned when he preached over the text just before this, Jesus and his disciples were on their way to go rest. They were on their way to go and sort of go on a vacation. And what they find are thousands of people running in every direction, which if you can imagine being in a concert and everybody going in their own direction or being around livestock and all the animals going in their own direction, it's chaotic and possibly really dangerous. And so Jesus comes upon this. His, his time of rest is disrupted. And this is what we read from Mark chapter 6, verse 36. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And so in this passage we're about to read together, what we see is that Jesus sends his disciples across the sea and it's disrupted. And he disrupts all of that with the glorious disruption of who he is. So you can follow along with me if you'd like from Mark chapter 6. Verses 45 to the end of the chapter there, and I'll, I'll read uh, as we consider God's word together. Hear the word of the Lord. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening, evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but they saw him walking on the sea, and they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened." 
When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for your word, for Jesus and his glorious disruption that we read about in this text and ask that you would make it real to us now. In your name we pray, amen. So, again, thinking about this idea of disruption. You know, even the small things in our lives are being disrupted right now. I was talking to a friend named Katie who is the director of our preschool at Christ the King and she was telling me how she went last week or just before Easter and looked at the lilies that are blossoming in the playground area for our children. And um, it's beautiful to see them, but you can't get to them because the gates are closed. Our, our playground is currently closed. And it was a reminder to me that as sad as that is, that God is, he's not afraid to bring beautiful things into our view. That despite everything going on around us, God still wants to invite us into considering who he is um, and understanding the power of what he offers, that his grace might even reshape and recenter who we are. And this story and this account that we read about with Jesus and his disciples is certainly a picture of that. So what I'm going to do is recap what we read here and then give you just a couple ideas to take away. So thinking about the story, remember Jesus comes upon with his disciples, these 5,000 people, and they need to be fed. And the disciples want to rush them off because, hey, they're there to rest, right? And Jesus has compassion on them. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he gives them what they need. He offers them uh, food, himself, um, access to the reality of what it means for Jesus to be who he is, to see his glory. He feeds them, teaches them, serves them, then sends them away, something the disciples wished he would have done earlier. Then, as we read the text, Jesus sends his disciples across the sea, and he says, you go on ahead, and I'm going to go up to a mountain and pray. So that happens, and then Jesus sees his disciples. It's very early in the morning, 3, 4 a.m., before the sun comes up, well after midnight, doing exactly what he had told them to do, to cross the sea. And we read in verse 48, these words, making, they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now, if you've ever tried to kayak into the wind, or if you're a swimmer and you've been in the open water and you tried to swim against the wind, you know how exhausting of a process that can be. It feels almost useless to even try because the wind is so strong and the waves are so strong that you're making progress, but as Mark describes it, it's painful. Now imagine you're a first century person, you're in a huge wide wooden barge of a boat, you're using very long oars, you're rowing as much as you can. And these are, these are men of, who know how to row on the sea and they're barely making headway. Jesus sees this and we read that Jesus walks out onto the sea. And there's two things I wanna point out about this. First, there are lots of references in the scripture to the Lord being able to manipulate the physical elements, to over sort of control even um, water or rain or mountains. In fact, in Job chapter nine, we read that the Lord is able to move mountains, shake the earth, command the sun and the stars to stretch out the heavens, that he tramples waves of the sea. And that's imagery in a lot of ways. But Jesus is actually showing us that it's more than just imagery. It's more than just metaphor to sort of invite our imaginations to consider what is God's glory like. In fact, we read that Jesus walks across the water 
that even when covered in flesh, he has the power to reveal who he is even over the elements. And Jesus, by walking on water, is revealing that he is the creator, that he's the sustainer, that he is above all, that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And uh, there's many places in scriptures like in Colossians that talk about Jesus being precisely that. So on the one hand, this is a revelation of who Jesus is as he's working in his ministry, that he is the God of heaven and earth. The other thing to notice is that Jesus intends to pass by that he means to pass by them. And we hear that and we think of driving on Highway 10 or 59 or the Beltway or whatever, and we're gonna pass someone and the goal is to get past them and move on. And that's not what's going on here. If you read in the scriptures, there's another example of where God intends to pass by someone. It's in Exodus chapter 38. We read this, it's about Moses' encounter with the Lord. Verse 17 of of Exodus chapter 38 says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and and I will proclaim to you before you that I am the Lord. And so do you see this? God passes Moses. Why? so that Moses can see his glory. God wants Moses to be able to rise up and understand just how magnificent the God of heaven and earth is. And so he does that for him. He does that for Moses. He lets him see sort of the the, the backside of him so he can see his glory. In the same way, Jesus intends to pass by the disciples in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the sea, where they think they've been abandoned, Jesus intends to pass by them so that they can see his glory. Now, why would the Father do that? Why would the Father want Moses to see his glory? And why would, the Father want, why would Jesus want his disciples to see his glory? The reason is, is because, because when we understand God for who he is, when we see Jesus for who he is, we're amazed. When we see Jesus for who he is in his ministry, we see who God the Father is for us, what we discover is that who he is changes everything. We begin to see his glory, we begin to experience life. And so God wants Moses to experience life. Jesus wants his disciples to see him for the most powerful, most compassionate, most capable, almighty God. As we read in the book of Exodus, the Lord says to Moses, I will make my goodness pass before you. Jesus is desiring to do the same thing for his disciples, fearing for their lives, doubting if Jesus even knew what he was talking about, asking them to go across the sea, wondering in their minds, does he realize that we are in a a precarious situation here? Where is he? Jesus desires to pass by them. Which leads me to Jesus' response to the disciples. Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples see him. And you can imagine like what was probably going through their mind. I imagine that maybe one of the disciples might have looked at Peter and said, hey, Peter, you remember how you said it couldn't get any worse? Well, there's a ghost walking across the sea and he's coming towards us. And we read here that they screamed. They were terrified. I probably would have looked over my shoulder and wondered, is Jesus close? Like maybe there's another boat. They would have been looking for some kind of relief, but no sooner are they screaming in fear than Jesus says something to you, something that that I think probably you could make your verse during this season from Mark chapter six, verse 50. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now the translation of that, it's not as simple as just it is I. It's the kind of 
way that you would speak if you're trying to say Adonai, the Lord, I am. The same uh, name that Moses would have, that the Father gave to Moses when he said, who shall I say sent me? I am has sent you. Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not fear. Take heart. Disrupting their fear by saying, take courage. And we probably, along with the disciples, would have said, take courage in what? I am is here. It is I. The one who moves mountains, who can shake the earth, who can stretch out the heavens, who can trample the sea. I am is here. And so therefore, do not be afraid. You know, something we struggle with when, when one another is really going through a difficult time is to figure out how to offer comfort in the midst and not wanting to sort of downplay someone's struggles. Jesus does this so well. He says, take courage in the midst of your struggle. As difficult as it is, take courage because I am here and so therefore do not be afraid. It's not that you shouldn't uh, be afraid at all. It's just that I'm here and therefore you can trust me to walk with you through this. So do not be afraid. The glorious intrusion of Jesus' disruption completely changes everything for them. We read in verse 51, he gets into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. See, this is what happens to us. When we see the glory of God, when we see God for who he is, when we begin to understand Jesus' words, that they're not just random words sent out to somebody out there, but specific words for your heart in this moment to take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Their response, our response, when we really begin to understand that is to be speechless, to be astounded, to be amazed, but also to take comfort. There's more. Verse 52, we read that the disciples saw these things and they were utterly astounded. That seems like an appropriate response. Jesus is walking across water. That's amazing. He gets into the boat with them. That's incredible. And when he gets into the boat, he calms the seas. They were astounded, you think? But then we read this. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The disciples saw Jesus take a few loaves and some fish and feed 5,000 people. They saw him walk across the water. They, they watched him get into the boat and calm the seas. And yet, their hearts were hard. Do you know what that means? That means they still struggled to believe that Jesus was who he says he is. And do you know what we learn about God in this moment? How does God deal with people who struggle to believe? He is not intimidated by it. He moves right towards it. He gets in the boat with them. He calms the seas around them. And he says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. His love is even able to disrupt our unbelief and our weakness and our struggles. We're an imperfect people who are loved by a perfect God who will bring perfection into our lives again and again and again to convince us so we can see his glory, so we can experience life. That's God's way. You wanna see what it looks like whenever the power of who Jesus is is completely unleashed, when there's nothing that can stand in between it and what he wants to accomplish? See, in the scriptures, what Jesus is doing is he's revealing what his kingdom will fully be like when he returns again. And so we live in this in-between of what Jesus has revealed and what he's going to completely do. But we actually get a very clear picture of what happens when the power of the one, the I am, Adonai, the one who can walk across water, can calm seas, who can stretch out the heavens and 
commands the sun and stars and who respond, when his power is fully unleashed on a people like us with all that we are, what's it look like? Listen to verse 53 and following. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages and cities and countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Do you see it? When, when who Jesus is, is unleashed, the result is life. I mean, has there ever been a, a more appropriate moment for us to be able to personally identify with the people who are sick and being able to say, is there anyone who can offer us relief? Every single person on this planet is thinking about this. And Jesus, even by touching the fringe of his garment, the full realization of his kingdom, when it's ultimately realized and unleashed, the result is the disruption of all disruptions. He brings peace. He brings his kingdom to bear. So just let me leave with you a couple ideas. I want you to think about this all week. I think it's a a wonderfully appropriate text. Maybe this should be your memory verse for you at home. You can think about this. Mark chapter six, all right? Um, Where Jesus says, take courage, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. Mark chapter six, verse 50. Take courage, it is I, Do not be afraid. A couple questions to think about. The first is this. Have you experienced God's love in this kind of profound way? Do you understand the reason this story is here is so that you and I can begin to get our heads around just how powerful and good Jesus is. This is amazing. To walk on water, to calm seas, to heal the sick. This is the kind of God that we worship in this church at Christ the King that I've given my life to. And the question for you to consider is, have you given your life to this one? And if you find yourself in a place of doubt or a place of being astounded but not really believing, here's the good news. That's exactly what the disciples felt like. And you know what changed their hearts? Continuing to be loved and to continue to experience the love of this one right here. God is patient. He's not easily angered. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's forgiving. And so if you're hearing this message at all, you need to know it's God's intention for you to understand that Jesus is inviting you to be one of his people that's the recipients of these kinds of promises and this kind of power. Have you experienced it? You know, there are times in my life, I mean, I do believe these things, don't get me wrong, but there are times in my life where I don't act like I believe them. Like when I'm being really impatient, I'm believing in that moment that whatever it is I'm concerned about is more important than anything else around me. That's very self-centered. Or when I'm being selfish, I'm believing in that moment that loving others is not as important as whatever my agenda is. Or when I'm being arrogant, I'm believing that my thoughts and ways are more significant than anyone else's. The good news for me is that the one who's able to heal is the one who says to me that by grace and through faith, you're forgiven, restored, renewed, and I'm inviting you to follow me. That's God's response to you this morning. Have you experienced that kind of grace and that kind of power? You know, the disciples knew who Jesus was, but they didn't always recognize him. They understood that he had done these things, but yet they didn't quite grip them into their hearts. And, and my prayer for you is during this time, this weird sort of coronation, as some people are calling it, is that you have an opportunity to read the scriptures and really ponder this one, this amazing one, 
who's able to walk on the seas, who's able to heal the sick, who's able to get into the boat that you are currently in right now and bring you peace. He will be patient with you and me. He will counter our unbelief with his promises. And he invites you to really give yourself to it. You know, as you think about the next, I don't know how long this is going to go on. No one really does. But the question of what's next is something we're all asking. The bad news is I don't know what's next. I don't really know if I'm going to get sick. I don't really know if my family's going to get sick. I don't know what's going to happen to our world. But what I do know, and this is the good news, is that the one who commands the cosmos says that one day I will heal and restore all things. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. I hope that encourages you this week, that you reflect on those words, those words Jesus gives to you in the midst of this moment. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that in fact you invite us to take courage in you. That the moment our hearts say, well, what can we take courage in? You say, it is I. I am is here. The one who commands all the world and all the universe, that one knows me and invites me to take courage because he's here and therefore to not be afraid. Lord, would you give us the faith we need to trust in you in in this very confusing sort of ocean of difficulty that we're all struggling with and convince our hearts by the power of your spirit that in fact your grace is enough for you are the Christ. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.